This podcast contains graphic subject matter and is meant for mature listeners only. I felt like I had witnessed a murder. Mysterious deaths swept under the rug. Are you saying records were changed after she died? Yes. Ignored by those in power. Too many people keep dying. A message from the grave exposing a deadly pattern. We found the note that he wrote. People. Don't leave me in here. Left to suffer. I would treat my worst enemy this way. Begging for help. He was pleading for his life. That never comes. Just complete disregard for human life. This is an investigation into how a state turned a blind eye. We treat animals that are in kennels better than he was being treated. To a jail doctor with a troubled past. Were you and the county aware of Dr. Leonard's history? I certainly was not. And the denial of life-saving medical and mental health care behind bars. A jail sentence shouldn't be a death sentence. I'm investigative reporter A.J. Legault with Carol Levin, a TV station in Minneapolis. You're listening to Cruel and Unusual. This is episode one, A Mother's Rage. It's May of 2020. My city is on fire. George Floyd has been murdered on camera by Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin just days before. Floyd's dying cry of I can't breathe has become a global chant. And we're suddenly the epicenter of nationwide protests against police brutality and a reckoning with racial and social injustice. In between coverage of the unrest in the streets, I'm speaking with a source about Floyd's killing, and I'm given a tip. I'm told, if you really want to shine a light on needless deaths, take a look at how medical and mental health care is provided in Minnesota jails. That tip seems to echo some of the very fundamental issues of justice. People by the thousands are in the streets protesting. A death in custody. Officers failing to provide medical aid to a man who with his final breaths begs for help that is withheld. George Floyd has been killed on a city street. How long y'all gotta hold him down? Get him off the ground, bro. As onlookers cried for him to receive care that was denied, could it also be happening behind jail walls where pleas for help are hidden from the eyes and ears of the public? My team and I decided to find out. T-R-U-T-H, truth. That's all I'm fighting for, is the truth to be told. And that's why I came out here. This is Delshia Perry at a protest in June 2020, a few weeks after the death of George Floyd. You're going to hear a lot from Delshia over the course of this series, as she goes from grieving mother to agent of change. Ardell did not deserve what they did to him. His crime is irrelevant to what they did to my baby. When he died, a big part of me died as well. And I will fight for justice until the day I die. 
Delshia's son, Hardell Cheryl, was a 27-year-old black man and father of three. I met up with Delshia outside her home in a Minneapolis suburb to learn more about her son and just what she was protesting about. Can I talk to you about who he was as a person? <laughs> Thank you. My son was, he had a big heart. He loved life. He was crazy about his mama. He and I were best friends, we were very close. We did pretty much everything together. He was my only child. And uh, he loved his three little girls. The oldest is eight, the youngest is four. Um, but Hardell was a jokester. He, I, I used to tell Hardell, you know, you missed your calling. You know, you were a comedian. You know, you were supposed to be a comedian on fo having folks laugh. He was so funny. He had such a positive attitude on life. He always saw the cup half full. Delshia gets quiet, almost unable to speak out loud for a moment as she talks about her only son. Yeah, he was a lot of fun to be around. He was the life of the party. Everybody enjoyed having Hardell around. My mom used to, my mom nicknamed him Hard to Tell. She said, hard to tell what he's going to do next. Now, there are issues that he had, some crimes that he had done, but he never intentionally hurt a soul. Hardell was incarcerated at the Beltrami County Jail in rural northern Minnesota, about a four-hour drive from the Twin Cities, when he died in 2018. He was there to pay his debt to society for the crime he did commit. He was ready to turn his life around. He knew what he had done was wrong, and he wanted to get it right. At the time, Hardell's death, reported as just a medical issue with no sign of foul play, barely made a blip on the public radar a sentence or two of coverage on the evening news, and then forgotten. Forgotten by everyone but Hardell's mom. This is her at a protest again. It is hard as a mother to stand here and tell you what happened to my son without getting teary-eyed. It's hard to fight and grieve, and grieve, and fight. And I am sick and tired of what Minnesota has been doing to our African-American men. Delshia launched what can best be described as a one-woman crusade to tell everyone and anyone who would listen that her son should still be alive. She's a regular at Black Lives Matter protests. What do we want? Justice! When do we want it? Now! And routinely organizes her own. Say his name! Hardell Cheryl! Say his name! Hardell Cheryl! We marched on the governor's, you know, in front of the governor's mansion, went to, went to the attorney general's office. I talked to anybody and everybody that would listen to me. Nobody seemed to hear what I was saying for almost two years. It doesn't take long speaking with Delshia to realize she is not a woman who is going to be ignored. She's a fiery Pentecostal evangelist with Southern roots. And what goes on in the dark always comes to the light. She routinely speaks with biblical symbology about right and wrong, good and evil, truth and lies. But God sits high and he looks low and he has the final say. When we first heard her claims about what happened to her son behind bars in Beltrami County. What I know has happened 
in Beltrami County Jail is evil, wicked, wicked, evil. And they need to shut Beltrami County Jail down. It was difficult to imagine them being completely true. He was neglected, abused, and murdered. Medically neglected, abused, till his death. But remember, those allegations mirror that tip I got about needless deaths behind bars. And the world has just watched George Floyd be medically neglected and abused to his death. Do you think where society is right now, or, what, you know, or a month after Mr. Floyd died, do you think society is in a place, a better place to listen to your son's story now because of the conversations that are happening around the country? Absolutely. George Floyd, my condolences to him and his family. He was the straw that broke the camel's back. And I believe God used him as a sacrifice for all of us other families to get the attention to the stories of racism in this country, in Minnesota and in this country. And I am furious that it had to take that from people to realize enough is enough and we need to be doing something about it. My team and I decide to start our investigation into deaths behind bars by digging into exactly what happened to Hardell Sherrill. We'll soon learn that Delshia is not exaggerating and what's more, authorities have known, but buried the truth. Not saying my son was perfect, but he sure as heck wasn't the devil and he wasn't a monster as they treated him. He was nothing of the sort. My son was a good young man made some bad decisions, but he had a good heart and he meant well. Okay, so here are the basic public facts. Hardell was booked into the Beltrami County Jail in northern Minnesota on a firearm possession charge August 24th, 2018. Nine days later, he was dead. Sheriff Ernie Bytel, who was then chief deputy with the Beltrami County Sheriff's Office, sent out a press release Sunday, September 2nd, 2018. Its headline, Inmate of Beltrami County Jail dies of an unknown medical condition. It states, quote, Hardell H. Sherrill, age 27, of Apple Valley, Minnesota, collapsed and became unresponsive while in the presence of a corrections officer and a medical technician at approximately 4.58 p.m. Life-saving efforts, including CPR and the use of an AED by correction staff and jail medical staff were immediately initiated. First responders and ambulance personnel responded as well, but were unsuccessful at reviving Cheryl, and he died at the facility, end quote. An investigation by police in Bemidji, Minnesota, where the county jail is located, found no wrongdoing. The Minnesota Department of Corrections, which licenses jails in the state, also conducted a death review investigation and found the jail committed no violations. From the very start, Delshia was having none of it. That was a lie from the pit of hell, and I wasn't buying it. The challenge for my team is to find out what really happened and how those official investigations missed it. We started by reviewing hundreds of pages of medical records, court filings, and law enforcement documentation, along with hours of security video from the jail to construct a timeline of the days leading up to Hardell's death. 
As we did that, what quickly becomes apparent is Delshia is right. There's a far different story than the official version that Hardell just collapsed and became unresponsive while jail staff tried to save him. And when I saw the videotapes, when they finally released those surveillance camera tapes, and I saw what they did to my son, my heart just sunk. He was crying out for help for days, not a couple of minutes, days. My son suffered for six long, agonizing days. Video footage shows Hardell arriving at the Beltrami Jail the evening of Friday, August 24th. He appears to be in good health and cooperating with guards. He can be seen walking, talking, laughing, and even joking with the jailers. It matches with how Delshia described her son to us. You see my son walking in, healthy, happy, he's joking. That's who he was. The jail has a private for-profit company, Mend Correctional Care to provide medical care for inmates. So a men nurse does an intake health assessment when Hardell arrives. She notes Hardell is kind and happy. And along with high blood pressure, he reports having some upper back pain and a migraine. That changes. Three days later on Monday, August 27th, Hardell begins to complain of chest pain extending into his neck and back pain shooting to his foot and thigh. Another men nurse notes he appears to be in a great deal of pain. It's the first warning about what's to come. An electrocardiogram test, or EKG, is done, and the result is, quote, abnormal, showing probable inferior infarction, or heart damage. The owner and physician in charge of MEND, Dr. Todd Leonard, reviews the case. But he does it off-site, without ever seeing Hardell, and, for some unknown reason, concludes the EKG registered a false positive result. Instead of asking for a new test, he just orders over-the-counter painkillers and a prescription antihistamine. You can hear the discomfort in Hardell's voice that day as he talks on the phone with his young daughter. Dad? Hey, Kalia. What are you doing, Daddy? Daddy's not doing much, just reading a book. What are you doing? And it's almost my birthday, so that's why um, I, I made a list what I wanted for my birthday. You did? And I really I was thinking about you, so I was like, hmm, I wonder if he will get out of jail when it's my birthday. I know. Because I really missed you. I miss you too, okay? I love you, Dad. I love you, too. That night, the jail video shows Hardell falling out of bed. And even after speaking with a guard, he's left lying on the floor of his cell for 25 minutes. The next morning, Tuesday, August 28th, he sees a men nurse who notes that he's crying and complaining of back pain and right arm weakness. Yes, I'm in so much pain. Hardell calls his mom, Delshia, on a recorded line. I need to see a specialist, and I can't see one in here. I'm in so much pain. I need a specialist. They can't help me in here. And I'm in, like, so much pain. My blood pressure is 160 over 120. 
lost while you fell last night? I fell out the bed, yeah, trying to go take a pee. And they left me on the floor for 25 fucking minutes. This would be one of the last times Delshia hears her son's voice. The way I'm feeling, I'd rather roll over and die. For real. No, you'll be all right. I'm dead ass serious. No, for real. This pain is ridiculous. I know. At 8 p.m. that night, Hardell sends what's known as a kite, a written request for medical care to jail staff, asking to be taken to the hospital for treatment. That message reads, I need to be taken to the hospital on account of I can't feel my legs and cannot be physically mobile. Please be fast about this because I'm also in excruciating pain in all my muscles all over my body. But the jail doesn't act quickly. Hardell is not even seen by a men jail nurse until 9.30 the next morning, August 29th, day five, at the Beltrami County Jail. He tells the nurse he's getting worse. Now, unable to move his legs, and he hasn't eaten in two days because he can't properly lift his hands. The nurse's exam lasts less than five minutes, and records show the nurse and jail staff are skeptical about Hardell's claims of paralysis. He's left lying in his cell with no additional treatment. The next day, August 30th, day six, Hardell says he can't feel anything from the waist down and has urinated on himself because he's unable to get up and use the toilet. A nurse calls Dr. Leonard on the phone. He directs Hardell be taken to the emergency room to be evaluated. But the internal jail records we got show that Hardell does not get to go to the hospital. Jail administrator Calandra Allen overrides the doctor's orders. Why? Records show she claims Hardell's phone calls to his family reveal he's faking as part of a possible escape attempt. However, we found no evidence of him plotting an escape, and Delshia says it never happened. Because she said that she had overheard conversation with his family that he was trying to escape. I'm his family. And we never had that conversation. His girlfriend was the only other family that was talking to him. And we never, he, they never had that conversation. He wasn't going to try to escape. That was absolutely a lie. And that she was afraid that he was going to try to escape. But what's even more alarming than that, AJ, is the fact that here's a man that couldn't even run. So how, you're, you're afraid that he's going to run and he can't even walk? Huh? Where, where was he going to run to? He probably couldn't even crawl at this point. Medical professionals we spoke with also question how jailers can just ignore a doctor's orders. Since when do we allow non-professionals, non-medical professionals to overrule the judgment of a medical professional? That that could happen in a jail or prison is outlandish to me. This is Michelle Gross, the founder and president of the advocacy group Communities United Against Police Brutality. She's also a nurse and paralegal who has reviewed all of Hardell's records and says a jailer overriding a doctor's order to take an inmate to the hospital is unheard of. What happened to him is unconscionable. And for all of these medical people to know what was happening to him and to, to walk away and let this go on because some um, correction officers, what we call COs, thought that he was faking. You know, you are an independent medical 
professional. You are supposed to use your professional judgment to make your own decisions. You don't allow a corrections officer to tell you what is happening with a person. And the idea that you would allow a corrections officer to tell you, ah, oh, he's fake and don't pay any attention to him. And then you ignore the obvious symptoms, the obvious signs that something's going deeply wrong with someone is appalling to me. Remember, there would be two official investigations, one by the city of Bemidji, another by the state, and they didn't report or document any of this. Video surveillance of Hardell's cell at the time the jail administrator refuses to send him to the hospital shows Hardell sitting in a wheelchair in the corner of the cell. He has no pants on and is holding an adult diaper. He tries to put it on, but can't move his legs. It's agonizing to watch. After 30 minutes of trying to get the diaper on, he collapses, falling to the cement floor where he lays naked from the waist down. Ten minutes later, three guards walk in and lift him onto his cot. One officer mops up what appears to be urine and a bright red liquid off the floor. Day seven at the jail. It's August 31st, the start of the long Labor Day weekend. A mend nurse practitioner named Stephanie Lundblad, who is new to the company and on her first day working alone, visits Hardell. I was um, told that I had to go assess a patient, um, a patient who was uh, faking that he was paralyzed um, and faking that he was incontinent. She finds Hardell lying on a mattress pad on the floor wearing a soiled adult diaper which is soaking the mattress pad beneath him. When I went into that cell, um, I first was overwhelmed with just the stench of uh, urine um, and sweat. Hardell tells her he's numb from the waist down and has also defecated on himself. He was embarrassed. Uh, He wanted um, a change of clothes. He said that he hadn't had his clothes changed or had a shower. The first thing she does, though, is take his vital signs. They all indicate he has a serious medical condition. His vital signs were not good. Um, His oxygen was in the low 80s, and his heart rate was over 132. His blood pressure um, was very high, and I knew that if he didn't receive medical care immediately, that he probably wouldn't make it. Concerned he had a stroke, nurse practitioner Lundblad orders Hardell be sent to the ER by ambulance immediately. The jail administrator again weighs in, refusing to allow Hardell be taken in an ambulance, but allowing him to go in the back of a police vehicle. The local ER doctor says Hardell needs an MRI, which they can't provide at the small northern Minnesota hospital. So the doctor orders he be taken by ambulance two hours away to a hospital in Fargo, North Dakota. The MRI comes back normal, and hospital notes show a guard told the ER doctor in Fargo that Hardell had been seen on camera moving around fine and was likely faking his illness. For the record, we can't find any video where Hardell can be seen moving around fine in the days leading up to this hospital visit. In fact, it's the exact opposite. But unable to quickly find anything specifically wrong with Hardell, and apparently believing what the guard told him about faking the symptoms, the ER doctor diagnoses Hardell as malingering with just weakness or fatigue. However, 
In all caps, Hardell's discharge instructions sent to the jail state he should seek medical attention immediately if he experienced worsening weakness, difficulty standing, paralysis, or loss of control of his bladder or bowels, or difficulty swallowing. Despite those orders and the fact that he will soon meet every single one of those conditions, Delshia's son will never see a doctor again. We would say he died, but now that I know what I know now, he was killed, he was murdered. My son was murdered. Early in the morning of September 1st, day eight, Hardell arrives back from the hospital at the Beltrami County Jail. On the jail video, you can see he falls out of the back of the squad car onto the concrete Sallyport floor. Watching this footage, it's hard to believe this is the same man who walked in laughing and joking with jailers just one week earlier. Now, as he lays on the ground, four deputies stand over him, looking down but not helping. He's then dragged into a wheelchair by his arms, limp and listless. He falls out of the chair to the ground where he's left face down for a minute or two. Deputies again pick him up and put him in a wheelchair, push his flopping head forward and take him to his cell. Hardell appears to be unconscious as video shows guards toss his limp body onto the bunk. Two hours later, you see Hardell begin to shake and roll off the cot falling face first to the concrete floor where he's left lying for hours. Later that day, men's director of nursing, Michelle Scroach, the top nurse for the entire agency, and the live-in girlfriend of the company's owner, Dr. Todd Leonard, is filling in at the jail because of staffing shortages on the holiday weekend. She checks on Hardell, writing in her notes that the cell smells like urine and feces, and Hardell says he's choking and trying to move but cannot. Delshia can't understand why no action is taken. It was all red flags, but yet nobody did anything. Video shows Nurse Scroach does no medical assessment. She does not even check his vitals or change his soiled clothes. In fact, she provides no medical care at all, just stands in the cell doorway at least 10 feet away from her patient. Here's a man that is dying right before your very eyes, and you do absolutely nothing to help him. Records show the men nursing director then tells guards there's nothing medically wrong with Hardell and they shouldn't help him eat or go to the bathroom or anything else because he's capable of doing those things himself. Later that evening, a mend medical technician tells guards not to even give Hardell medication until he's able to sit up and swallow on his own. It's painful to watch what happens next. Video shows Hardell roll off his bunk and fall to the floor, where he lays for nearly eight hours in his own excrement. Delshia can't unsee these images of her son. Face down on a jail cell floor, and he's left there for nearly eight hours. You can see him trying to move his head up. He's probably crying out and calling for help, but nobody comes. The next morning, September 2nd, day nine. Hardell is dragged by guards from the cell, still in the same soiled clothes he went to the hospital in two days prior and showered off. He won't live to see another day. The mend nursing supervisor sees him again that morning 
but again fails to even take his vitals. As video shows, he lies limp on the floor, a white substance running from his mouth. That afternoon, Hardell Cheryl dies on his cell floor. Unbelievable. What happened to my baby should have not happened to my, my son. A jail sentence shouldn't be a death sentence. Remember, the official announcement from the jail made no mention of any of this, simply saying Hardell collapsed and became unresponsive in the presence of a corrections officer and medical technician who tried to save him. An autopsy is done. In his report, the medical examiner makes no determinations as to the cause or manner of death, but writes he found evidence suggesting pneumonia and lists that as the anatomical diagnosis. And I'll never forget her calling and telling me what had happened to Hardell. That's nurse and activist Michelle Gross again. Delshia called her after Hardell's unexplained death behind bars. And I knew instantly what was wrong. I knew immediately. He died from a terrible disease called Guillain-Barre. Gross is right. A private pathologist later determined Hardell died of Guillain-Barre syndrome, known by the acronym GBS, a somewhat rare, but as Gross explains, still well-known autoimmune disorder. It's um, not very common, but it's well-known to people who have been in the medical field for a while and who have worked in emergency rooms and in primary care because it's a known complication of a viral illness such as the flu. And so when she told me what had happened to him, I instantly knew that there was something very, very wrong with what the, uh, the official word was. And so... Um, you know, I immediately said, no, no, no. He died from medical neglect from Guillain-Barre. GBS causes the immune system to damage the nerves, leading to muscle weakness and paralysis. It's a progressive paralytic disease that causes your muscles to shut down. They start at your core and they move down your legs and they move up your body and eventually you stop being able to breathe. It is survivable. With appropriate medical care, most patients recover. But left untreated, it can be fatal as a patient like Hardell basically suffocates to death. What happened to him is unconscionable. Gross says all the signs were there for a medical professional who cared to look and see a suffering man and not just a jail inmate faking. What happened in Hardell's case is that they simply didn't believe anything was wrong. They refused to pay attention to all of the symptoms that he had, which were just pointing to this thing. They refused to pay attention to it, and as a result, they left him laying on, a, on the, the, the floor for days and days as he suffocated slowly to death and died from um, lack of care. He also was not given proper nutrition. Um, he went three days without food and roughly a day and a half, almost two days without any um, hydration of any kind. And this was well documented on the videos. Um, you know, that's one of the things about jail deaths is that there's lots of video. And so I looked at probably over 200 videos in reviewing this case. And um, I can tell you that it was like a nightmare. It really, truly was. He was treated worse than a dog. Some people have, have dogs that they treat better than how they treated my son in that jail. Delshia says her crusade for justice, refusing to allow Hardell's story go untold, is for his daughters. They stole a father from his three little girls. They won't have a father to grow old with. They won't have a father 
to do the father-daughter dances, go to middle school, high school, college graduations, walk them down the aisle and give them away. Beltrami County Jail and Mend stripped those children of that. And they need to pay for that. They need to be held accountable for that. As our investigation would discover, this is about more than medical professionals and jail staff refusing to pay attention to deadly symptoms. It's also about how local and state authorities refuse to pay attention to major red flags, even when a jail insider blew the whistle right after Hardell died. I felt like I had witnessed a murder and I resigned immediately. That's coming up on Cruel and Unusual, Episode 2, The Whistleblower. I'm A.J. Legault. A special thanks to our investigative team, producers Brandon Stahl, Steve Eckert, and Gary Knox.